The Plan with Callahan podcast is brought to you by Kirby Callahan Wealth, a practice of Northeast Planning Associates. Financial planning is hard. Let them make it easy, one step at a time. Financial planning offered through Northeast Planning Associates, a registered investment advisor. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. Northeast Planning and LPL are not affiliated. Now, on with the show. Let me have your attention for a moment. Because you're talking about what? You're talking about... Mm, Money, money, money. Ah, high finance. (laughs) Bulls, bears, people from Connecticut. That's as good as money, sir. Those are IOUs. I'm Tommy Callahan, Big Tom Callahan's son. You like Huey Lewis on the news? Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Play with Callahan podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Callahan. This is March. One of my favorite times of the year, basketball at its finest. Win and you're in, lose and you go home. Now, the national tournament hasn't started yet, but the conference tournaments are underway. Already some awesome action around the country. Unfortunately, yes, my Bulldogs are already out. It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right. I hope you had the time of your life. I know I'm biased, but Bryant was one of the more exciting teams to watch this year. So much talent, so much potential. But unfortunately, I think this team was a prime example of how difficult it is to bring so many new players together and to get them to gel in less than a year. To add insult, it really was a rough way to end the season with inconsistency and injuries. Having said that, I'm still bullish on the Bulldogs and Coach Grasso. I look forward to their bright future. As much as I'm focusing on college basketball, personally, professionally, it's always on the markets. And this market is starting to get volatile again. Now, today's podcast may get a little quote-unquote political. I hope I don't get canceled only eight episodes in. But I'm going to give you listeners fair warning in case you want to shut me off right now. I wouldn't want your ears to start bleeding. But we started the year off positive, and now we've gone through the worst week to close out February. Inflation's here. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. Layoffs are continuing to increase, and the country's going broke. What do you think, Grandma Gilmore? I love it. Now, should you care? Well, depending on your time horizon, you may or may not. Like we've talked about before, and I'll never stop talking about it. The three questions. Who's the money for? What's it for? When do you need it? It sounds so easy, but it's so difficult to do in practice. Eat right, work out, get plenty of sleep. If you're looking at your portfolio on a daily basis, just throw in the towel. It's not going to do you any good. So how do we beat inflation? Well, I was thinking about it the other day. I always give a shout out to Russell Investments for their research, and that's completely justified. But I also want to give a shout out to something else and what I truly feel like is the inflation buster. And that's the rotisserie chicken. That's right. The rotisserie chicken 
Hands down, the best deal you will ever find at a local supermarket. For the past year or so, I've seen all the Costco hot dog ads, getting a lot of headlines for being almost the equivalent to a bar of gold, standing the test of time by keeping its value. I will say it's now becoming pretty obvious how this is happening. Costco is charging 10 bucks for a roast beef sandwich. They're just subsidizing the hot dog. They're leveraging the beef to offset the mystery meat. But the rotisserie chicken, I mean, it's not even a competition. You go to Costco right now, you get a four-ounce hot dog and a soda. That's fine. But you can go to Market Basket and get a rotisserie chicken that weighs two and a half pounds for less than $5. We buy one every week. I debone it. I use the bones for a great chicken broth. And modern problems require modern solutions. In my opinion, it's the inflation buster. But seriously, inflation, inflation, inflation. It's been the main topic of discussion and the biggest pain point now for a year. Some of the recent headlines are, are just starting to annoy me as well. Uh, one from NPR. Despite high inflation, Americans are spending like crazy. And it's kind of puzzling. Well, what's so puzzling about it? Now, the guy who wrote this article is no dummy. He went to Harvard. He got his MBA from San Diego State. Smart, and I want respect. But how could consumer spending during inflation be puzzling? It's literally the definition of inflation. Too many dollars chasing too few goods. People will spend money until they don't have money anymore. Savings is not the American dream. Guys and gals like me certainly encourage it. But the average person in this country has no savings whatsoever. Median income is about $60,000 with the average person having 5,300 bucks in a bank account. We live in a country of spenders and the YOLO generation. For anyone over the age of 50, that stands for you only live once. It's about now, not about later. If a person works at a company that has a group retirement plan, if they're even enrolled in it, which is a huge if, they're doing the bare minimum and just doing the match. They're not saving 15% like we've discussed before. According to Zipia, 42% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings, and 49% would not be able to cover a $400 emergency expense. 13% of Americans over the age of 60 have no retirement savings at all. And what made headlines last year when it came to investing? Buying crypto, meme stocks, and NFTs. This isn't my grandmother's generation who thought that diversification was putting money at different banks because she was a depression baby and didn't believe in the stock market. And I'm not saying that that's wise. I'm not saying you should only have cash. We've discussed the benefits of compound interest at length. But one thing's for sure, her generation knew how to save. In terms of inflation, there's another headwind that's starting to become more mainstream, and that is the generational wealth transfer. According to CNBC, there's going to be over $68 trillion passed from the baby boomer generation to the next. And that could be Gen X or millennials, depending on the situation. That in itself is going to lead to continued inflation and an increase in the velocity of money. Mom and dad sitting on a bunch of assets, they pass away, children inherit, and they spend. None of that has anything to do with the printing that's coming out of Congress, which is still happening, by the way. Let's see if this makes sense. The Federal Reserve is raising interest rates and the Treasury is still printing money. They've done studies, you know, 60% of the time it works every time. Savings are drying up. Credit card debt is rising. According to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, credit card debt surged in the last quarter of 2022 by $61 billion. Now at almost $1 trillion, 
topping the recent high, and you guessed it, 2008 and 2009. We're fundamentally going broke. So again, I don't know what's puzzling. How do we fix the problem? How do we get out of the situation? Well, one way is partially what the Fed is doing by raising interest rates. The other way is the one that you're not going to want to hear, and that's taxation. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Primarily taxing that $68 trillion I just talked about on the wealth transfer. Doesn't really matter what party we're talking about. They're looking to increase taxes across the board. They want a piece of that pie and they want to take that money out. My only ask is, if you're going to do it, then stop printing money. Don't take our money for no reason. Is that too much to ask? As the saying goes, when the tide rolls out, you'll find out who's not wearing a bathing suit. Volatility has picked up over the last week as we experienced the worst week in the stock market. So far this year, the S&P was down last week, two and a half percent. The Dow down almost three. The Nasdaq down over three. The Russell down almost three. What about unemployment? The Federal Reserve needs to see unemployment increase before they can even start to think about slowing rate hikes. Unemployment is a tricky topic. Talk to anyone who runs a business and they'll tell you they can't get anybody to work. Why? There's a bunch of reasons, and it always, again, becomes political. Let's look at a study from the Cato Institute. Now, the Cato Institute, which if you get all your information off of Wikipedia, will say that they're a nonprofit libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C. They regardless. They released an updated study showing that welfare benefits pay more than a minimum wage in 33 American states and the District of Columbia. This is just statistics. Before anybody flips out, this is just statistics. According to the study, welfare benefits have increased faster than minimum wage, meaning it's now more profitable not to work than it is to work. Hawaii is the biggest offender here, where welfare recipients earn almost $30 per hour or just under $61,000 per year. The other states... District of Columbia is over 50 grand, Massachusetts over 50 grand, Connecticut just over 44,000, and rounding out number five is New York at just under 44,000. So again, I'm not trying to make a political statement here, but what I'm trying to say is, is pretty simple. We're raising interest rates in a market where we're looking for the unemployment rate to increase because if the unemployment rate increases, then we'll slow the rate hike. Well, guess what? By disincentivizing people to work, the unemployment rate is not going to increase. Those people need to be actively looking for employment. So if we look at these states, you know, the ones that I just listed, there's a few things that I want to compare them to. Why would these states push that agenda to keep increasing welfare benefits to disincentivize people to work? It's not rocket science, okay? comes down to votes. Whoever is in favor of that tends to have a little bit of a tailwind when it comes to voting time. What's the benefit to getting elected? Well, look at some of the pensions that we have in this country. If you are a retired U.S. president, you get a $180,000 pension for life. If you're retired from the House or the Senate, you get $174,000 for life. If you're a retired Speaker of the House, it's $223,500 for life. 
And if you're a retired majority or minority leader, it's $193,400 for life. Let's compare that to some essential jobs. Average salary of a teacher, just over $40,000. Average salary of a soldier who was deployed in Afghanistan, $38,000. This structure, as it's set right now, is not working. We've printed money. We have generational money transferring. We're disincentivizing people to work. We're raising interest rates while continuing to print money. The government is trying to increase taxes. We'll talk about how to fix Social Security and Medicare on another podcast. Our bedroom is very messy right now. Now, our bedroom will stay messy. It's never going to be clean. No one is ever going to be 100% happy with this country's situation and say that there are no problems. But right now, it's messier than normal, and we need to start cleaning it up. How do we do that? Again, we've started the Fed raising interest rates. That's part of it. They need to stop printing money. The government, they're going to increase taxes. It's going to happen. And then discussions on entitlement programs and incentivizing people to go to work because there is a financial incentive behind it. Economics shouldn't be this political. I truly believe after hundreds of years of examples that capitalism is the worst economic system outside of all the others. There is no perfect system. There is no utopia. Capitalism is not perfect. There will be winners and there will be losers in a capitalistic society, but at least you'll have winners. No one wins when it comes to the others, most notably socialism. And I would love to have somebody on this podcast tell me different. This movement towards a socialistic society is killing the economy slowly and that's been the case now for years. I've read as much as you can on the quote-unquote benefits of a socialistic society, and I have yet to understand those benefits. Socialism pushes everybody to the bottom, and I don't get how that's a benefit. We need to be lifting the bottom up, and that's the benefits of innovation and job creation, because there's a financial incentive to it. Now, as grim as things look, doesn't change my long-term view on this country or this economy. The only time my long-term view will change is if we truly declare this country has moved to a socialist or communist society. My belief is through COVID and everything else we've gone through, I've never been more optimistic that the average American has gotten a taste of what that would look like and they're realizing that they don't like it. I'll always give you my opinion straight up no matter how good or how bad things may seem. As expected, it looks like we've got some tough sledding coming up here. We knew that 2023 was gonna be a challenging year, but we'll get through it, we always have. Remember what it's all about, avoid the noise, stay on your path and never stop learning. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Until next time, folks, take care. The comments on this podcast are that of the participants and should not be viewed as comments made by LPL Financial or Northeast Planning Associates. Content on this episode should not be considered investment advice, but strictly as educational information.